Hello and welcome to episode 37 of Pixel Sift. My name is Gianni and today, as always, I'm joined by Mitch and Scott. Hey, hey. Hey. And actually, today we were joined by a, a different Scott, uh, yes. because we are 48 hours away from the Australian federal election, so we thought it'd be a good idea to have a chat to the West Australian Senator Scott Ludlam from the Greens, uh, and they've just announced a new policy to support, support the Australian gaming industry. Yeah, we're also talking conflict in video games. Why is it that violence and confrontation is often the solution instead of, you know, extending the olive branch? <laughs> we'll also be to- uh, taking a look at Twitch's new donation method, Bits. Questions about how this will support those making their living off streaming games and how it compares to the alternatives. That's the lineup for today's episode, which is episode 37 of Pixel Sift. Let's jump into it, shall we? <laughs> Yeah, so video games are systems that require the players to solve problems, and more often than not, that problem is usually in the form of taking down an enemy or, like, an opposing force. So, um, why do so many of the games we play use combat as the main mechanism for doing so? Um, why do gamers more likely to pull the trigger than, let's say, negotiate with an enemy? We saw a really interesting contrast uh, at the last... Uh, a week ago or two, the E3 conference, where it was just after the hor- horrific shooting at the in Orlando. Um, and at, during the same time, there was a bunch of video game developers and they were presenting their new games, which involved a lot of shooting and a lot of violence. Um, it's an interesting sort of quandary. Obviously, there are obviously lots of other games out there that are using different methods of uh, solving the game, uh, solving problems and getting to the end of their story, uh, plenty of other examples like that. But most of the AAA titles that we tend to come across are games that are, you know, mostly shooters. Yeah, combat-orientated. Yeah, mm-hmm. most, a lot of the big ones, especially. It's quite easy to... <clears throat> we spoke about them, speak about them a lot, really. I guess combat and, and, and conflict is one of the historically, you know, biggest things in human history. Well, I, I and think you'd like to be able to do things in video games that you can't do in everyday life, you know, living, I, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you can't ride a dragon in real life. No. So there's a bit of an escapism element to it. Escapism. Perfectly. Yeah. And I think mainly in regards to it, it might've been initially the form of like AIs not being really that, I guess complex so you need to it's either okay on or off all right so they're either attacking the player or they are with the player so you can't really like a negotiation is a two-way thing which requires the ai to give something back to the player that's not necessarily bullets i guess also like you run you run into like repetitive issues there where like you'd have to have so many different scenarios otherwise you'd be running into the same kind of uh, you know dialogue all the time which you know, obviously people don't like. I mean, there are some notable examples of situations where games can be quite high profile, but not including uh, combat. I guess one that's kind of sort of blurred the line between that was the original um, Mirror's Edge game that mm-hmm. came out, uh, where there was there was shooting in it, but the primary uh, thing of that was actually escaping and not getting involved in, in fighting and, and combat. And, and that was originally made by the developer DICE, who are most famous for the Battlefield series. Yes. Uh, it was one of the first games they launched with the Frostbite engine, which was there. Well, look, there are a lot of new games that are kind of pushing towards that uh, more art house style uh, cinematic games. Um, I mean, Firewatch was one where it's not really about conflict at all, um, even a completely different one. But uh, Adrift was another one where really there's there's no conflict there. It's just kind of an exploring type game. 
a um, game like Journey, for example, perfect, where you just are on a journey and experiencing. And there is, you know, this it's a very simplistic, stylized sort of game, but there is a storytelling that in, that's involved with that, and you can tell what's going on with with the way that the game is actually being played. And you know, there isn't a combat element to it. All you can do really is when you come across other players, is kind of make a little sound at them, basically make little beeps and things like that. So. One of my favorite games ever is the Valiant Hearts. Uh, is Valiant Hearts? Um, and in that game, you play as a, a couple of different soldiers, and I don't think I remembered a notable instance of my character ever actually killing someone. Like they, I think the closest I came to it was it's implied that you fire an artillery piece at another artillery piece and take it down, and I guess there's implied death in that. But I don't think, and I think you do see a lot of on-screen death, but none of it is it, it none of it really happens as a result of your own character's actions your character's mm. kind of trying to negotiate world war 1 just it's, just surviving it pretty much it's not incentivized and there's obviously yeah. other games as well like the one uh, this war of mine uh, which takes place of characters who are kind of in a war zone and the war's kind of happening around them mm-hmm. um, and there is sort of no incentive there but of course that's sort of more of a smaller indie title and i think that's this is one of the things where obviously market forces obviously dictate the way that certain games are going to be uh, made and these big companies have investors and investors want a sure bet you know they want something that they know yeah. is going to be pretty well received everyone kind of knows the same thing it's there is this argument that always gets talked about where uh, people are basically having the same uh, same uh, same doll different hat sort of thing mm-hmm. um, because that's what they know sells and there this is the reason why we see some of this risk averse uh, sort of behavior where we don't see different so- sorts of characters it's always the grizzled uh, you know stubbly man uh, who's the main character rather than other different types of people in there when you know, obviously the world is far more diverse than than that sort of experience well these stories are about like you know some kind of conflict some kind of revolution usually you know brought about by you uh, and combat's a very easy thing to kind of base around to that. gamify yeah exactly um and i don't really have a huge problem i guess with that is because like we said gamers are about a little bit about escapism a little bit about immersion a little bit about doing things that you can't do in real life um what i'd really like to see is a little more realism like going into how these enemies and i ai, AI players basically uh, you know approach conflict um you know, like you said before, a little bit of dialogue. So it's not straight to, you know, getting gunned down like in GTA 5. There can be some kind of middle ground there. And, you know, it's doable. It's just people need to take this kind of uh, idea in a different direction. One of the examples that was given was the um, uh, Deus Ex uh, sequel that came out, Human Revolution. And at one point, you've got to sneak through a police station where you previously worked. Yeah. And then all of the people immediately attack you. And no one says, hey, uh, you yeah, know, Adam, what are you doing, Adam, what are you doing here? Get out of You're here. not supposed to be here. I thought you were dead, you know, or something like that. <laughs> There's, that's just the immediate gameplay interaction is that they are an enemy and they have to be killed. And so. that's with most games these days. Mm. I mean, um, you know, GTAs, all the GTAs, uh, you know, even Skyrim, I thought was a bit poor in that kind of area. Uh, one game that we mentioned before the, um, before the show that was did it quite well was Mafia 2. And I have high, ho- high hopes for Mafia 3 as well. Because it was a little bit just more realistic in the way that the police dealt with you as a criminal, especially a low-level criminal. Um, yeah, whoever's played it will agree. I won't go through it all because it's a long and big game. Yeah, and the new Mafia as well, uh, I brand new one. I haven't, haven't looked into it too much, well, but there's I particular areas they picked up where they left off. Well, there's areas because you are playing a, an African-American man and there's areas that you can't go into because you automatically get a huge amount of police presence and there's all of this sort of stuff about the racially charged See, eras. that's it, and, realism. I want that. Know, that's great. That's and perfect. having a having a consequence about what actually happens in, in these games. And, you know, 
you know, yes, there are obviously, uh, you know, targets to shoot down. But, that, you know, when you're telling, trying to tell emotive human stories, you can't just have it the black and white sort exactly, of... Exactly, stories. If movies were to behave like this and have characters act in the way that they do act in games, they'd be laughed off. Laughed off the stage, so to I speak. I think it's... it's Im- it's a challenge for developers to come up with these engaging stories without conflict and not come across like a choose-your-own-adventure novel, almost. <laughs> yeah. So, like, it's just like, oh, choose this, and then this will happen, and if you choose this, this will happen. Like it, like, But with combat, it really allows the player to really take control of their own situation in, in the sense that they're not just choosing an option to get a result. They are actually affecting their the exact, I guess, circumstances of how they bring down the mm-hmm. enemy. But but there's plenty of choices that everyone makes in everyday life. So, that's true. You know, that's and true. there's lots of stories that can be told from you know differing perspectives where people have different things. So you know it's it's one of these things that will I guess as the industry develops we'll see more of of different types of games and we can get a different sort of diversity of people in there. So yeah, let's jump into our next topic right now. Let's do it. Pixel Sim. It's not Pixel Sim. It's Pixel Sift. Pixel Sim. Taking time off the campaign trail, I was able to just very shortly ago speak to uh, West Australian Green Senator Scott Ludlam, and they have just announced a new policy in which to uh, expand and improve the way that games are supported in Australia and make it more viable for people to make it a job. We chatted to him uh, not that long ago. Senator Scott Ludlam, thank you very much for joining me on the show. Uh, You're welcome. Now, the Greens have just announced a new policy to sort of improve the viability of the Australian gaming industry. Could you break it down for the listeners so they know what they are looking at coming up this Saturday? Yeah, very happy to. It is a new policy for us, but I guess anybody who's been watching the industry closely um, in any capacity for the last couple of years will hopefully find elements of it deeply familiar. So we've taken a couple of different approaches, a few different limbs to it, but principally the um, Australian gaming sector was was smashed by the high Australian dollar during the height of the mining boom. Then it got hit by the global financial crisis. And then uh, one thing Simon Crean did when he was Arts Minister, which was very good, was introduced $20 million games industry development fund, like a rolling fund. They weren't given handouts. They were expecting to get the money back. And it got a lot of good studios and developers on their feet. And then George Brandis ripped that out from under them about halfway through the funding round. So the industry's had a pretty rough time. It's restructured greatly. So what we're proposing is to not unscramble the egg so much, but work with what we've got, which is a small but incredibly vibrant creative gaming sector. So we want to extend the producer tax offset Um, which at the moment would apply to a film and TV production, but uh, not to a digital work, not to a game. Um, That's worth about $133 million over the next four years, um, as estimated by the Parliamentary Budget Office. The second thing is to put back that fund that George Brandis tore up, um, which amounts basically to $20 million over four years. Uh, The third thing is seed funding for... Uh, co-working spaces like the Arcade in Melbourne, if anybody's spent any time in there, it kind of gives developers or people in any area of the industry a bit of an end-to-end look at all the different kinds of skills and, and expertise that go into not just coming up with a game or making it, but distributing it and, and, and promoting it. And so we think those kind of co-working spaces should exist um, in, in the major, major capitals. Um, we propose to tie all of those funding mechanisms to improve diversity strategies in the industry. Um, when we had the peak bodies and the advocates front the Senate inquiry earlier this year, 
they were very upfront and explicit about the fact that while gaming audiences are really diverse, the developer community really isn't. And there's, there's strategies and there's ideas that we think Commonwealth funding should be tied to that. And then the final thing that we proposed is that we fix up the hideous debacle that Abbott and Turnbull have made of the National Broadband Network so that the underlying infrastructure is actually fit for purpose. Now, you've been um, speaking to game developers across the country as part of that Senate inquiry, which finished up in April. Have they been sort of telling you a bit about how that cut has sort of impacted them? Um, The funding issue was really the major one. So people expressed how different the, the market structure is now to how it was when a lot of the big studios just fled back overseas. And so we got this really... I think it's been incredibly painful and a lot of people lost their jobs along the way, but the industry structure now is much more like a mosaic of smaller uh, smaller outfits, garage-type startups and a couple of other um, bigger studios who sort of managed to weather the storm, or these really interesting collectives like you get in the arcade where people are kind of moving between, between different roles. So that <clears throat> we found kind of encouraging that you've got this... Um, pretty resilient core of people who are still trying to work in the industry but graduates spilling onto the market every year who simply can't find work and that's really why I think the priorities that came through um, from people like Tony Reid and others who who work really closely in the area was just some basic government investment, the way that you support an industry that you want to get on its feet so that can repay its money back a hundredfold um, there's industry support out there for various other sectors. When you listen to the buzzwords that are coming out of Malcolm Turnbull's mouth every 15 minutes about agility and technology startups and disruption and telecommunications, you look at the game sector and think, mate, these are your people, but you cut the funding out from underneath them. So funding, funding and kind of targeted industry support, I think, were the themes that um, came through the strongest. And also, I guess, the, the distinction, I guess, that people were making that this is not just an industry and the money side is, is important, obviously, and there's a big story there, but it's an emerging art form with really interesting cultural undercurrents. It's a new dimension of screen culture. It's about to go through another massive transition with VR and AR. And there's... There's a really interesting cultural and artistic story there to tell, um, even if you're not interested in the dollars. Has it been frustrating to see much of the debate about the National Broadband Network focusing on download speeds? I know you mentioned there that having hubs like the Arcade uh, in Melbourne are very valuable, but of course that's a you know, city-centric environment. Um, is it, yeah, is it frustrating to hear them not talk about uh, or not see the upload, which is, you know, very important to creators, being mentioned in the, in the same uh, sort of value? I, c- I can't think of any element of the debate around the National Broadband Network at the moment that isn't deeply eye-gougingly frustrating. Like, the whole debate has just gone so sharply off the tracks. I think uh, Tony Abbott told Malcolm Turnbull when he was opposition leader, go out and destroy the case or demolish the case, I think was the word he used for the NBN. And they did that really successfully and they even inflicted this bloody mongrel hodgepodge of obsolete technology on us. 
and and we're I was going to say we're stuck with it, but we're not. Obviously, maybe there'll be a change of government, and we'll actually be able to bring some reason back into the debate. But they're rolling a network out that's going to be obsolete before it's even built, and that's terrifically frustrating. Um, I do a fair bit of work in 3D modeling and rendering for some of the presentation work I do. I use a render farm in Germany, and you'll be sitting there for a really long time waiting for your stuff to you know, squeeze its way down a copper cable that might have been laid 60 years ago. And what I'm doing is nothing on the scale of what these studios are trying to, trying to put up into the air. So both from a production base, but also obviously for the users who want to get a hold of this content, what's happened to the NBN has been a disaster. And for game developers who aren't in the capital cities, um, you know, that means that there's a, a problem with their representation in the Australian industry as a whole. You know, we don't focus on arts as only being capital city bases, artists all over the country, and they're not probably getting the opportunity to, to contribute in the same way without having to move from their homes. Well, keep in mind the whole art sector has been absolutely smashed. Like, they've had a pretty horrible 18 months with uh, George Brandis, there he is again, uh, raid on the Australia Council and this incredible rip-off into their little pet project fund. Um, the fact that the new fund that they set up explicitly um, restricted uh, Commonwealth funding going into digital uh, gaming projects. So it's just not considered art. But when they took away the industry fund, they're basically telling us it's not considered industry either. So... Do you think it's a generational problem? Yeah, I think it's part of it. I try not to oversimplify it, right, because there are a lot of gamers who are not in the kind of young white demographic that, that I think many people consider is the case. There's a lot of older people, um, you know, playing games on tablets and that kind of stuff. But in terms of policy making, one of the nicest things that happened actually during the Senate inquiry that we did this year was seeing some of the older major party senators have the light bulbs go off over their heads. It was actually a really constructive set of hearings that we held where these folks are sitting there going, my God, we had no idea. We had no idea you could do this, that the applications were this wide. Some of these things aren't even really games. You know, we're kind of, we're missing some more expressive language maybe for some of the things that are being built at the moment. Um, and that's before you even start talking about VR. So the generational thing is there. I think it's risky to oversimplify, but um, I don't think you can deny that it's playing a part in the neglect that's happening at the moment. I guess finally the question I wanted to ask is this Saturday is promising to be quite a an interesting election and with the half quota for the Senate as well, uh, meaning that we may see some interesting results. We've had Senate changes, of course, as well, uh, election uh, changes in that. But um, have you been talking to any other parties And because uh, no party can pass policy on their own? It's all part of getting it through as a conversation and, and collaboration with other people. Have you been talking to some of the other groups about um, these sort of policies and what their positions would be? Not really, not during the election campaign. We do that a lot when you're not in election campaign mode, obviously, because you're negotiating on bills and initiatives, working on committees and this kind of stuff, and that's when that that's when all that work gets done. Mm -hmm. um, during an election campaign, it's kind of deeply hypothetical when you don't even know uh, whether which minor party senator is going to be in there or whether it's going to be someone you've never heard of and whether um, the government might cease to be the government, God forbid. 
um, in a couple of days' time. So it's difficult to do that kind of policy collaboration in an election campaign. We feel the most important thing is to say we've got a whole suite of ideas that covers everything from tackling climate change to abolishing nuclear weapons to shutting down the torture islands in the Pacific to, uh, you know, an industry support initiative like the one that we're talking about now, try and get all of those ideas out to people so that they hear it directly from us. And then it's basically up to everybody else. Like, all right, Australia, you fill up the parliament with the people you want, and then we'll see what we can, we'll see what we can achieve once we're there. Well, Senator Scott Lillum, thank you very much for joining me today, talking a bit about the games industry. Uh, we'll uh, wish you luck on Saturday. And hopefully we'll hear some more about the games policy in the next couple of weeks or as, as this uh, parliament starts to settle. Yeah, much appreciated. Thanks. Thank you very much. Senator Scott Ludlam there up for election this Saturday uh, with the Greens. If you are in Western Australia, let's jump into our next topic. Visit us on pixelsift.com.au. So, do you use Twitch? We sure hope so, because we're broadcasting out on it live. Hello to our beautiful and faithful Twitch streamers. Uh, for those who don't know, Twitch is a bit like YouTube for gamers. Anyway, this week, Twitch released a new donation system that incorporates bits as emotes through which to do- donate to streamers. One of the initial problems of this system is the sliding potential profits from these donations, as there is already an existing PayPal system for this. It's still in beta, but it's making pretty massive waves already. Well, as as Twitchers, what do, what do we think? It's been a bit of a hodgepodge, uh, I guess, because there was obviously no... To steal a uh, yeah, line from, <laughs> from S. Lutz. Yeah, just yeah. A hodgepodge is in my head it's for some good. reason. It's good. Um, yeah, it's been basically a system where people have been designing things as they go along um, to sort of fulfill the needs of people who want to make game streaming their profession, something that they do for a, a, you know to entertain people and, and create content and all these things. So it, the, the need arise and basically people made things through PayPal and they made other systems to you know donate to people or they'll have things like you know buy off my Amazon wish list or something to that effect to kind of support their mm-hmm. their thing into the thing. But this it's interesting to stress that this is not this is only for partners of Twitch. That's right. This is like only for like the select few that are very popular. And yeah, like that's right. that you pretty much already have to pay to subscribe to these guys anyway. That's this right. is like kind of on top of that. It is. It's another. It's. I guess th- there's always been sort of a, an argument for, uh, you know, a variety of, of different sort of rules that sort of apply for people who are, who are partnered, um, and obviously they need to test them because they are the most popular people on the system uh, that are currently broadcasting. Makes sense to follow, uh, put all your uh, you know new policies in place to support them because they're the people that you know, support your company as well. Um, you know, obviously there are other methods of, of, of doing this as well. But yeah, that, that's one of the big questions. I was actually chatting to uh, Darcy Smith. He's from uh, League of Geeks, uh, the developers of Armello. We've spoken to them in previous episodes. Hey, Armello. But I asked him about this because they have a really big uh, Twitch uh, following. Uh, they've got a, a 3,000 followers they got this week on, on Twitch and they have very regular weekly sort of updates. And I guess one of the big things was that he said that it was obviously a, a natural progression to put their own sort of spin on it. Um, but he sort of had concerns about the percentage of the funds uh, that the streamer would actually receive and what actually happens when you put in one of these little cheer emotes, uh, which basically, you know, put in cheer and a number uh, on someone who isn't partnered or someone who is a low-level streamer who doesn't have this agreement, what happens 
happens to the money? Does Twitch just right. take the cash? Yeah, or do they, uh, you know, does it just not work if they're not a partnered streamer? There's not a lot of information there yet because it's in such a small pool of people and people are always very, uh, you know... Could it be that it doesn't even work? It could on... be, but we sort of don't really don't really know until then, yeah. So Sorry. Um, no, you can go on. Lost it. Yeah. The other thing, uh, the other thing we uh, that Darcy mentioned was there's an interesting uh, sort of discussion about, um, you know, the way that the 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 the, the revenue share kind of works. Yeah, it's yep. kind of all up in the air. No one really sort of knows exactly what it sort well, of sits at yet. There is. Uh, I've got a little uh, small little graph here. Yep. that is supposed to explain it. Um, this is based on basically uh, a bit cost of say a dollar forty. Yep. Um, the caster share is a dollar and the Twitch share is 40 cents. So the re- uh, revenue share to the caster is about 71. Well, it's exactly 71.43%. Mm. Uh, if you take that all the way up to $308, then the caster still only gets 81.1%, uh, 7%. But say if you were to do that with the with the current system, with the PayPal, PayPal donation, $308, the re- uh, revenue share to the caster would be 97% of that. So basically, this is a new system, very similar to what they could have done before with the PayPal, but Twitch are taking a far, far bigger share of it, um, especially as the money gets further up in the things. One of the things that's really important about this sort of donation system is that this kind of puts it a level of uh, protection in front of these larger streamers. There was a story that came out a couple of uh, weeks ago where an Australian uh, person had gone and donated $50,000 Australian oh. to a bunch of Twitch streamers. Using his wow. parents' credit card. Using his parents' credit card just to kind of then uh, for the whole purpose of people getting excited to get this sort of money coming through and then to do a chargeback on them. Right. So they had the money ripped out of their account because the way that chargebacks work with credit cards is that you have... Uh, only uh, basically it's you're guilty until proven innocent effectively right. with these sort of things. So it's kind of to have a level of like protection and Twitch is kind of taking a bit of the liability here because you're not actually able to charge back on that. Yeah. Well, if you do, you're charging it back on your Twitch account, which kind of has impacts so I on guess, other stuff. I guess the bigger cut is the streamer paying for the liability. Almost. Yeah. yeah, I guess so. and there are Some other sort systems of insurance, out there. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, there are yeah. there are other systems out there which do have a bit of a buffer in there that make sure that people don't get inflicted with this. They say pay out every month or pay out like this to allow for these chargebacks to go through. They wait until it goes through, so there's a bit of steady income. But you know, if you're a smaller streamer, just been partnered, and you want to get a bit of extra cash coming in, um, this may be something pretty tempting to do. And I, I imagine it's going to be something that's going to work in conjunction. People are going to have both. Uh, it'd be interesting to see if Twitch. Uh, changes their policy to say that if you're going to take donations, it has to be through our particular system, which I think will be very unpopular. Um, but one of the other criticisms that um, Darcy mentioned in this is that there's sort of a disconnection between what a, a bit is. Mm-hmm. You're spending yeah. your money on buying a thing and then you're assigning that value of, 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 thing, of that thing to a caster. And there's a problem with people who are, are in this situation who maybe have picked up their parents' credit card and they're like, oh, I'll just buy 500 bits or whatever. And it doesn't really seem like real money, but uh, giving someone a donation of like five dollars or something feels like a real yeah. value. I like to make yeah, yeah. the comparison between bits and chips at a casino. Yeah, um, exactly. And we see a lot of this with the you know you are that's right. You're changing your your real money for yeah, a value, but I mean yeah. you can't for cash Disney out. money. Yeah, you can't yeah. cash out <laughs> space bucks. Yeah, spacely sprocket space space bucks. Um, yeah, so it, it's obviously there's a move here that they're trying to support the people who are creating the content for their website, um, but there needs to be this balance between uh, having 
something that can be supporting people, but also yeah. making it, it worthwhile. Starting off uh, similar to the PayPal tipping style is great, but you know, not having the same incremental increases in, in, in revenue for the caster is a bit problematic, and it's not people aren't going to like it. Um, you've made an interesting point. I just remembered what I was trying to say before. Nice. Um, <laughs> When you said it is only for uh, you know members of Twitch at the moment, um, I, I'd say that's during beta kind of thing. I feel yeah. like they, they they would want to implement this across the board to you know increase their chance of making money. That's but, exactly right. Yeah, I mean, if it's one of these things that benefits, business, it benefits Twitch for them to have popular casters, so it makes sense to benefit the people who are and making the content. Twitch has right. said in in a couple of articles and a number of different posts backing themselves up they said this is subject to change yeah like it's not it's beta i imagine this will change hugely yeah. because it's already been a massive amount of art cry and they will take well, they will take the feedback i think really well because i mean it's twitch that's right <laughs> well look that's all we've got time for today so we've reached the end of our show thank you uh, to green senator scott Ludlam for joining us talking a little bit about uh, the greens policy for this upcoming election uh if you want to find out more of our uh, stuff it's on our website it's www.pixelsift.com.au scott on the social medias uh, people, you can find us at facebook.com forward slash pixelsift, twitter.com forward slash pixelsift, twitch.tv forward slash pixelsift, and youtube.com forward slash pixelsift au. Mitch, older episodes. Yeah, if you, can, you can go to our website uh, to stream the episodes or subscribe to our podcast on either iTunes, Pocket Casts, or using the RSS link on our page. And yeah. Give Don't, us a rating and review and share it with your friends. We'd really appreciate it if you could uh, share this out. If there's anyone interested in games policy, it might be worth checking out. Don't Thank- forget to vote. Thanks a lot, Please guys. vote. Thank you.